the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. We're glad to have you with us. Well, as expected, the House uh, has been debating and is expected to vote to impeach Donald Trump after Vice President Pence refused to um, invoke the 25th Amendment. Now, again, this isn't this isn't a, uh, isn't a surprise. Uh, the president will be impeached. There's an overwhelming majority in the House, and there are a number of Democrats who have indicated, or excuse me, Republicans who have indicated they will vote in favor of impeaching the president. We've also learned that Senator Mitch McConnell will not reconvene Congress to engage in the trial until after Vice uh, President Biden's inauguration. Now, there's some question, some legal questions about whether or not a president who is no longer seated can be impeached in this process. We'll talk more about that as time permits in today's program. Well, the House of Representatives uh, is expected to vote later today to impeach the president. The House voted late Tuesday to pass a resolution that urged Vice President Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove the president from office, which uh, was seen as symbolic. Well, President Trump is on the verge of becoming the only president in the history of the republic to twice be impeached by Republican lawmakers, including a third-ranking House GOP leader, Liz Cheney of Wyoming, announced that they would vote to impeach President Trump. So, again, it's a foregone conclusion at this point. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell also supports Democrats' move to initiate impeachment proceedings against the president and is done and furious with him, referring to Donald Trump, according to sources. Well, the House voted late Tuesday to pass a resolution urging Vice President Mike Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove President Trump from office. That vote, 223 to 205, was seen as symbolic because Pence has already said he would not take that action, believing that it only applies when the president, a sitting president, is physically incapacitated. In other developments, Pence uses Pelosi's own words to justify not invoking the 25th Amendment, the vice president said that uh, President Trump should be removed for a medical reason, but not this reason that they're offering. Vice President Pence told Speaker uh, Nancy Pelosi that he will not invoke the 25th Amendment as lawmakers uh, flooded into the House chamber for a vote uh, Tuesday night on a resolution calling for him to do so. Last week, I did not yield to pressure to exert power beyond my constitutional authority to determine the outcome of the election, the vice president said to the speaker in an evening letter, and I will not now yield to efforts in the House of Representatives to play political games at a time so serious in the life of our nation, end quote. Well, Nancy Pelosi has been vocal in leading House Democrats who believe President Trump needs to be held accountable for actions she believes led to the deadly Capitol riots last week. Just a few months ago, when you introduced legislation to create a 25th Amendment commission, you said a president's fitness for office must be determined by science and facts. Pence wrote, you said that we must be very respectful of not making a judgment on the basis of a comment or behavior that we don't like, but based on a medical decision. Madam Speaker, you were right. 
the vice president went on to say. Well, Vice President Pence urged her to reconsider pushing forward with actions that he believes would further divide and inflame the passions of the moment. Meanwhile, President Trump says, I keep my promises as he marks the 450 mile uh, border wall fence um, amid the riot fallout in Washington. Meanwhile, YouTube has suspended the president's ability to upload content indefinitely. YouTube said yesterday it uh, it had removed new content from President Trump's official channel and will prevent videos from being uploaded for a minimum of a week. The company, which is owned by Google, said the decision was made after review and in light of concerns about the ongoing potential for violence in the wake of a pro-Trump riot breaching the Capitol in January. Uh, given the ongoing concerns about violence, we will also be indefinitely disabling comments on President Trump's channel, as we've done to other channels where there are safety concerns found in the comment section. YouTube's decision follows other tech companies like Twitter and Facebook, which have uh, permanently or temporarily disabled President Trump's account after Wednesday's riots. Meanwhile, a lawyer for a Florida man seen at the Capitol riot with Speaker Pelosi's lectern says the photo is a problem. Well, I think everyone would agree with that, saying, I'm not a magician. Well, the lawyer for a Florida man pictured last week inside the U.S. Capitol carrying the lectern uh, as rioters stormed the building told reporters Monday that the photo may be problematic for his client's defense and acknowledged that he is not a magician. Again, not clear what they mean by that. You have a photograph of our client in a building unauthorized to be there with what appears to be a podium on, or a lectern. I'm not exactly sure which one it's called, but that's what we have. A reporter can be heard saying to the attorney that the photo obviously presents a problem for him as a defense attorney. I don't know how else to explain that, but yeah, that would be a problem, the attorney said. I'm not a magician, referring to himself and not his client, and neither is Mr. Bigney. So yeah, we have a photograph of our client who appears to be in the federal building or inside the Capitol with government property. The attorney and his client didn't immediately respond to additional questions. It seems like kind of a foolish back and forth, but yeah, there's a problem. Well, the son of a New York Supreme Court judge has been linked to the the Capitol riots has been arrested. And the Department of Justice and the FBI say that they that more than 170 have been charged in the U.S. Capitol riots, saying there is only this is only rather the beginning. I wish they'd been that diligent throughout the so-called summer of love. An Arkansas man seen in Pelosi's office makes his first court appearance with a bond hearing set for Friday. An Alabama man who parked a Molotov cocktail filled pickup in front of the Capitol has been indicted by a D.C. grand jury. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says the country will heal with the actual liberation of southern states from GOP control. What a fascinating statement. And the U.S. carries out its first execution of of a female inmate since 1953. Twitter is silent after a Pelosi tweet uh, surfaces declaring the 2016 election hijacked. It's resurfaced, but apparently she meant it in the most kind and gentle way. Parlor CEO is blasting uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and elected officials who called to ban his act. And lawmakers are seething as lines form to pass through House floor metal detectors. You have to live like, I suppose, the rest of us do, entering and exiting public buildings. Well, after its... Um, Trump ban, Facebook tells staff to avoid wearing company-branded clothing in public. You don't know how people might respond, they uh, ponder. GM is presenting electric autonomous flying vehicles futures as CES and its stock takes off 
to a record high. Now, would you be willing to be the passenger or the driver, for that matter, in quotes, of an electric autonomous flying vehicle? The Jetsons are just on the horizon. Visa and Plaid are calling off their $5.3 billion deal. Well, the story claims that Mitch McConnell is leaning toward convicting President Trump better than 50-50, a source says. Well, from the Daily Wire earlier in the day, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell told his Republican colleagues that Trump's actions last week were worthy of impeachment, according to the New York Times, which cited anonymous sources. He is reportedly pleased at the move by Democrats to make Trump the first president in history to be twice impeached, hoping that such action will make it easier for the Republican Party to get rid of him. Meanwhile, Senator Tom Scott said that he would uh, vote against conviction, and Ed Morrissey looks at the question of whether a president can be impeached after he leaves office. We'll look at that question as well, as the Senate, we've heard from Mitch McConnell, will not reconvene before President-elect Biden's inauguration. Well, House Republicans uh, push censure instead of impeachment. Several have introduced a measure. Meanwhile, Dr. Albert Moeller, he called the aftermath of the Capitol mess an opportunity for the right, the left, conservatives, liberals, all Americans to repudiate political violence and reaffirm once again our commitment to ordered liberty. I hope we have a commitment to ordered liberty and that we're willing to affirm that together as a nation. Well, the Supreme Court has upheld a pro-life Trump decision. The Trump administration appealed to federal judges ruling uh, that allows abortion facilities to send abortion drugs to women in the mail, potentially without ever seeing them in person for an exam. In July, U.S. District Judge Theodore Chuang of Maryland suspended a U.S. Food and Drug Administration safety rule for the abortion drug I can never say it right, but it's one of the uh, drugs that you'd be familiar with. If I pronounced it correctly, you'd probably recognize it. Anyway, after pro-abortion groups sued, they argue that the FDA should halt its requirement that the drug be provided in person because it would protect women from potential exposure to the coronavirus at an abortion facility. The Trump administration appealed the initial ruling and said it would be uh, safer for women to see a doctor first because the drug can kill or Um, in your women in certain medical situations. Today, the Supreme Court ruled six to three that the Trump administration can enforce the pro-life rule and lifted a nationwide injunction against it. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later this hour, we'll hear a classic interview with Todd Nettleton, Fox, Voices of the Martyrs, AD 33 through today. Uh, we'll also hear from Kate Anderson. She's legal counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom regarding a case uh, that was heard by the Supreme Court on whether or not students on campus are free to share their faith as are other uh, movements and organizations and individuals. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Well, Disney is the latest business to rethink staying in California. Disney is in talks to move some of its office divisions from its Burbank complex in California to Lake Nona, a master-planned community to be based in the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando. That's in Florida, of course, according to the Orlando Business Journal, which cited uh, sources familiar with the matter. Antifa forces the uh, closure of a Portland bookstore. That would be Powell's over Andy Noe's book. Uh, the book details the nasty villains that are Antifa, and that is apparently not tolerable, and Powell's folded. Representative Elise Stefanik uh, was fired from Harvard's advisory committee. The representative says she's uh, proud to join a growing list of conservatives who have been banned or shunned by college campuses. 
On Tuesday, the Harvard Kennedy School informed the conservative lawmaker that they have decided to boot her from the school's senior advisory committee for what they refer to as her baseless claims of voter fraud during the 2020 presidential election. Stefanik wrote on Twitter, the decision by Harvard's administration to cower and cave to the woke left will continue to erode diversity of thought, public discourse, and ultimately the student experience. Meanwhile, Speaker Pelosi uh, names nine impeachment managers, including Eric Swalwell, who was uh, compromised by a Chinese spy. They're trying to resurrect his reputation. And Democrat Representative, um, I think it's Mickey uh, Shirell, claims lawmakers led reconnaissance tours prior to the Capitol attack. Uh, To heal the nation, Joe Biden plans to defeat the NRA. Nothing says love like I will disarm you. And socialist AOC says the country will heal with the actual liberation of southern states from GOP control. I'm not sure how she intends to accomplish that. I thought our strength was found in our diversity, but apparently I was mistaken. Meanwhile, Biden's pick for the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division promoted racism and anti-Semitism at Harvard, but apparently we're overlooking that. And before becoming Boston's mayor, Biden's labor pick was embroiled in a union extortion scandal. Well, a lawyer for PBS resigned after being caught describing Trump as close to Hitler. He also called Americans dumb and advocated for re-education camps. Now, I have to confess to you, I support re-education, but I propose that we do that through Uh, church and Sunday schools, kind of a different approach. Well, after banning Trump and suppressing American news, Twitter condemns Internet censorship. Of course, that was in Uganda, but, you know, nonetheless. And the feds are pursuing seditious conspiracy cases in an unprecedented probe of the Capitol riot. An FBI internal memo warns of plans of armed protests in all 50 state capitals, so brace yourselves. And Pompeo warns lawmakers of the Chinese Communist Party, this fight is inside the gates today. Well, we're shocked to learn that the Chinese COVID vaccine is far less effective than initially reported. And um, Elon Musk's two-word tweet sent the wrong stock soaring 438%. Can you imagine your words having that much import? Well, on this day in history, 1794, President George Washington approved a measure adding two stars and two stripes to the American flag after the administration of Vermont and Kentucky to the Union. The number of stripes would be later reduced to the original 13. 1941, a new law went into effect granting Puerto Rico U.S. birthright citizenship. And in 1990, L. Douglas Wilder of Virginia became the nation's first elected black governor when he took the oath of office in Richmond. 2018, a false alarm warned a a warning rather of a ballistic missile headed to Hawaii certainly caused alarm. The message sent to the islands uh, was uh, the cause of significant panic. People abandoned cars on a highway and prepared to flee their homes. Officials apologized and said the alert was sent when someone hit the wrong button during a shift change. Wow. Well, as mentioned, the House convened today, this morning, and continues throughout the day to open debate on whether to impeach President Donald Trump for inciting a riot at the U.S. Capitol last week. The single impeachment article accuses Trump of incitement of insurrection. On January 9th, while Congress was certifying the results of the election, Trump called on a mob of his supporters to march to the Capitol while asserting that Democrats stole the election through widespread voter fraud. The mob overwhelmed Capitol Police, breached the building, forcing lawmakers to evacuate 
injuring dozens of officers. One officer died as a result of his injuries sustained while confronting rioters, and one rioter was shot and killed by police. Well, today marks the second time Congress has opened impeachment proceedings some 13 months ago against the president. In September of 2019, uh, Democrats attempted to impeach the uh, president over his dealings in Ukraine. Just one Republican congressman, Senator Mitt uh, Romney of Utah, voted in favor of that impeachment effort at the time. Representative Justin Amash of Michigan, who uh, had left the Republican Party months earlier, also voted in favor of impeachment. However, after the riots on January 6th, several Republican House members are planning to vote in favor of impeachment. House GOP leadership has decided not to lobby caucus members to vote against, and Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy warned colleagues not to verbally accost members who support the impeachment, saying it could endanger their lives. Well, the President of the United States summon this mob, assemble the mob, lift the flame of this attack. There has never been a greater betrayal by a president of the United States of his office and his oath to the Constitution. That's a quote from Representative Liz Cheney speaking on Tuesday. I will vote to impeach the president. And of course, Representative Cheney is a Republican. Other House Republicans who have publicly backed impeachment are Adam uh, Kinzinger of Illinois, John Katko of New York, Fred Upton of Michigan, Jamie Harrar, Butler of uh, Washington State. A number of freshman GOP lawmakers could also vote to impeach the president, including Peter uh, Major of Michigan. Well, House Democrats initially indicated that they would not send the articles directly to the Senate. However, Democratic leadership may decide to send the resolution to the Senate next week. A source uh, involved in the deliberations is now saying Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is reportedly receptive to impeachment, believing Republicans can use the opportunity to purge Trump from the party. We also know that Mitch McConnell has been furious with the president, and uh, that is a reflection of that fury he maintains after events that erupted last week. Uh, Senate Majority Leader McConnell uh, will not reconvene the Senate before Tuesday, meaning that an impeachment trial against President Trump will take place after Joe Biden assumes office. And while Democrats are pushing to impeach and even remove Trump less than a week before he leaves the presidency, a McConnell aide confirmed that the uh, two reporters that the Senate would not reconvene before the 19th of January, one day before Biden's inauguration. Senate Republican leadership was previously considering reconvening on an emergency basis on Friday to hold the impeachment trial before Trump left office. Thus, the trial will take place with a Senate tied 50-50 between Democrats and Republicans and will be presided over by Chief Justice John Roberts. Several House Republicans as I mentioned, are expected to vote for impeachment, but it's not at all clear about senators. Democrats began their impeachment push after the president incited the mob, uh, inviting them to the Capitol to peacefully and patriotically make their voices heard. Things went a bit south from there. House GOP leader Kevin, uh, Kevin McCarthy, a Republican from California, condemned the impeachment push on Wednesday, but blamed Trump for those riots. Some say the riots were caused by Antifa. There is absolutely no evidence of that, he says, and conservatives should be the first to say so. Uh, he was speaking on the House floor. He went on to say the president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. Well, the truth is he did try to send them home, but his account was blocked by Twitter. I don't know what other um, means he might have been heard uh, but social media was no longer available for that or any other message, sadly. 
Well, House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy and others uh, blame President Trump for those riots. And the uh, fallout uh, will be seen in the next few hours, as it's expected that the House will vote to impeach the president. And certainly they have the numbers to do that by the end of today. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we'll hear from Todd Nettleton. The book, Fox, Voices of the Martyrs, A.D. 33, to today. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. In the 16th century, English preacher John Fox published one of the most influential Christian works of all time, Fox's Book of Martyrs, to document the stories of those who had laid down their lives for Christ. Fox collected and published the stories of Christian martyrs to encourage living believers in their hardest and lowest moments to find Jesus Christ worthy of their sacrifice. And today, Christians continue to be martyred for their faith. Well, that calling to tell the courageous stories of persecuted Christians is what drove the Voice of the Martyrs to release Fox, Voices of the Martyrs, A.D. 33, to today. A newly revised edition with 86 new stories of modern Christian martyrs not included in Fox's original work. With dozens of images, modernized English, and up-to-date accounts of martyrdom, Fox Voices of the Martyrs, A.D. 33 to today, includes the historical testimonies of Fox's heroes from the early church to the Reformation, as well as testimonies of those martyred during the Enlightenment, the Industrial Revolution, throughout the 20th century, and up to today. Uh, They demonstrate tremendous courage in the face of ISIS, the Taliban, brutal dictatorships and government crackdowns. And in those moments, we are encouraged to remember the apostles rejoicing in prison and remember to read through eternity's lens. Well, this new edition tells the sacrifices of so many uh, whose names you may not be familiar with, but you will uh, certainly find encouraging. Well, the Voice of the Martyrs is a nonprofit interdenominational Christian organization. They were founded in 1967 by Pastor Richard Wormbrand, who was imprisoned for 14 years in communist Romania for his faith in Christ. The movie Tortured for Christ, which, by the way, was just recently shown at Mission Connection, uh, is a tremendous retelling of that story, and it will move you and challenge you in your walk of faith. Well, joining us to talk about this new volume is Todd Nettleton. He hosts the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. He's also the Ministry Chief of Media Relations, and we are just delighted and honored to have you with us. Welcome, Todd Nettleton. Thank you very much. It's great to be with you. Well, in the um, introduction of the book, uh, it's written, In 1571, a church convocation decreed that John Fox's The Book of the Martyrs be chained right beside the Bible itself in cathedrals, select churches, and other religious buildings. Church leaders wanted Christ's followers to be reminded every time they entered the Lord's house that his words, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me were being lived out by Christians around the world. Tell us a little bit of history of Fox's Book of Martyrs that inspired this uh, compilation that includes much of Fox's Book of Martyrs, but includes modern-day Christian martyrs as well. Well, you know, as you mentioned, John Fox published the book in in the 16th century. Uh, 1587, John Fox died. Obviously, the, the, the issue of Christians laying down their lives for Christ didn't end in 1587. And so even after John Fox had died, there were more stories to be added to that book. And uh, so we have really taken his work and built on it and brought it to a new generation and and reminding people, uh, you know, one of the parts of the subtitle of the book is AD 33 to today. We really want to remind people this is happening today. 
Christians around the world are laying down their lives for Christ right now. We in the American church don't think about that very often. We need this reminder. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you point out in the book that throughout the centuries, the persecution of Christians has only increased. One reason for that increase is the spread of the gospel. That's the good news. But we need to be aware of their stories, to be um, made aware and reminded of our connection to each one of those believers and to uh, lift them up in prayer and to be challenged in our own walk of faith. Uh, to walk with that same kind of courage. Before we continue, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, Christian martyrdom. I know there are some religions that uh, encourage followers to pursue martyrdom as a way of earning um, acceptance of the deity. Can you talk a little bit about martyrdom, which is not sought by believers, is oftentimes a consequence, um, but faithfulness to God is not a way of, uh, and in being martyred is not a way of earning one's salvation. Right. That, that is certainly true in the Christian faith. And, uh, you know, if you go back to the original Greek, the word martyr simply meant witness. Uh, it didn't necessarily mean someone who died. It meant someone who was a witness and shared the testimony of what they had seen and heard. That's a good reminder for us that, that we're all called to be martyrs. We're all called to be witnesses. We have, in, in the current sort of understanding of the word, it's somebody who dies and uh, the founder of Voice of the Martyrs, Richard Wormbrand, talked about the fact that it's not the death that makes the martyr, it is what you're dying for. And uh, you mentioned there are some religions that teach, hey, if you will die for our religion, that's how you can get yourself into paradise. Uh, what we see when people carry out that is they often try to take people with them. It's not just me that's going to die, I'm going to try to take as many people with me as I can what the Christian gospel teaches is that those who are willing uh, to lay down their lives rather than deny Christ, they are the martyrs. They are dying for what they believe. And the amazing thing, and you see this in, in the stories in this book again and again, is it is not dying with anger or fear. It is dying with forgiveness, even for the people who are killing them. And it is dying with a clear vision of the eternity in heaven that awaits them. As I mentioned, uh, during Mission Connection, our mission conference here a couple of weekends ago, I had the opportunity for the first time to see Tortured for Christ, the film that tells the story of our dear brother, uh, Wormbrand. And I was so struck by what motivated he and others in Romania uh, they were committed to sharing the gospel with their oppressors, with the Russians. I wasn't really aware of of that emphasis, and that cost them a great deal, and ultimately cost him um, his life. Uh, so it is a it is a, a tremendously helpful thing to hear the stories of those who are motivated by love and not a desire to uh, to cause destruction, or as you mentioned a moment ago, to take others with them. Uh, but it's motivated by love and a desire to share the gospel and to be faithful uh, to the one who laid his life down for us all. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there, there's a great quote from Richard Wormbrand about those years in prison. And he said, uh, you know, the communist guards beat us and they were happy beating us. And we got to preach the gospel to them while they were beating us. So we were happy, too, because we got to preach the gospel that's a very different mindset than yes. I think most of us would, would picture ourselves being beaten and thinking, wow, this is a, a great time for me to share the gospel with this person. Now, Fox's Book of Martyrs uh, was not without its critics, and I would imagine that this new uh, edition of Fox Voices of the Martyrs is 
considered by some to be too graphic. It, uh, and there are critics who believe the retelling of these stories uh, is, is not very helpful. What do you say to critics who suggest, as in the original edition, uh, that this is not a healthy uh, exercise for followers of Christ? You know, I would remind them, I think, of what Jesus said. Jesus said that the world hates me, and if you follow me, the world is going to hate you too. Um, so what we see in this new book is is the very uh, example of, of Jesus' words coming true. Uh, the other thing I, w- I would think of immediately is just the fact that uh, the Bible includes the story of Christ's crucifixion. That's not a, a pretty picture. That's not a, a pleasant thing to read about, but it is a part of our story. It is a part of his story that, that we are following in his footsteps. And so those who say, hey, I don't want to think about those hard things. I don't want to think about those who suffer for the name of Christ. I think what happens as we read these stories, and I think it's a very powerful thing, you read a story about someone who's put in a position where they have to choose Jesus or choose their own life, and they choose Jesus. The natural response as a reader is to say, boy, I wonder what I would do in that situation. Uh, and when we ask that question, then we, we kind of have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to give the right answer. I want to say, even with a gun to my head, I would say, oh, I love Jesus. Jesus is my Savior. But, Lord, I'm not sure I have that courage. I'm not sure that my faith is strong enough. Help me. Help me to be strong. The other thing that happens is we're driven into the Scriptures. As we Mm -hmm. see, you know, when Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. But if you don't deny me, I won't deny you either. And we see the apostles being beaten, and, and they left the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. We are driven to prayer. We are driven to Scripture by these stories. And what that produces is a deeper faith walk in our own hearts and lives. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, most of us will probably not be faced with the kind of horrific challenge that you just described. But I, I find that for me, I am encouraged to have enough courage to to share my faith in a situation that's a lot less threatening but I recognize the value of the message of the gospel. I'm willing to to have a little courage to just share my own testimony. And there's just great value in in reading the stories of those uh, who are our ancient brothers and sisters, but also those who are currently facing that kind of persecution. I want to continue our conversation, but I do need to take a quick break. Again, we're talking this afternoon with Todd Nettleton. He is uh, here with the Voice of the Martyrs. We're talking about their book, Fox Voices of the Martyrs. AD 33 to today. We'll be back in a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Todd Nettleton. He's the host of Voice of the Martyrs Radio. He's also the Ministry Chief of Media Relations, and we're talking about their latest book, Fox, Voices of the Martyrs, AD 33 to Today, I cannot tell you how much Voice of the Martyrs has meant to me personally in my walk of faith and helping me to understand what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, not just in the local congregation, but across the world, and to understand the sacrifices that are being made by those who are martyred all across uh, the uh, all across the globe. So I'm so appreciative of the work of Voice of the Martyrs and of this volume as well. Well, let's talk about why it's important for Christians today to know these stories, both stories of the ancients and those that are more contemporary. Well, you know, I think as we talked about before the break, it inspires our faith. When, when we see somebody really living out their faith to the point that even at the point of death, 
They are unwilling to renounce Christ. They are unwilling to to be quiet. They will stand for their faith. I think when we see those stories, it inspires us. It makes us want to go deeper. It makes us willing, as you mentioned, you know, in in conversation to be uncomfortable, to yeah. bring up the gospel, to put forward, hey, have you thought about Jesus Christ? That's really for us, uh, most of us, that's the limit of our suffering, if you can. That is, we're going to be uncomfortable bringing it up or or being identified as, hey, that's the the crazy religious guy over there. That's a small thing in comparison to so many who have laid down their lives for Christ. So I think it inspires us and it reminds us. You know, the the Bible talks about the, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that someone's found in a field and he covered it up and in his joy, he went and sold everything he owned in this world to go back and buy that field and own that treasure. We in America, most of us have not been asked to pay a very high price to follow Jesus Christ. And so in many cases, I think we don't understand that value. We haven't had to mm-hmm. sell everything we own. And so we maybe take it a little more lightly than some of our brothers and sisters who from the first moment they accept Christ, they know this is going to be difficult. This is going to cost me. I might even die for this. But they understand that that treasure of great price is worth selling everything they own in this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you share one or two of the, the new martyrs stories that are included in this new edition of Fox Voices of the Martyrs? One of the stories that is really inspiring to me is the story of Pastor Han. He was a uh, he's an ethnic Korean, but a Chinese citizen uh, and the pastor of a registered church in China right along the North Korea border. And he, in his pastoral work there, began to help North Koreans who would come across that border. And he would help them find food, and he would help them with clothing. And in the course of some of those conversations, he led many North Koreans to Christ and began to disciple them. And some of them even went back across the river into North Korea, taking the gospel with them. Uh, Pastor Han knew that this was risky. It was risky because he was the pastor of a registered church in China, but it was more risky because he was sending gospel material and sending gospel missionaries back across into North Korea. He had been threatened. Uh, one of his coworkers was kidnapped. Uh, he actually visited our sister office in Seoul uh, in 2016, and and they said, Pastor Han. Uh, do you think maybe you ought to stay here for a while? It is very dangerous for you right now. Do you think you should lay low? Do you think, you know, stay in Seoul, be safe? Uh, Pastor Han made the statement, you know, uh, I've been called to be a shepherd, and my sheep are along the North Korea border, so I need to go back to where my sheep are. Just a few weeks later, he was killed by North Korean assassins who came across that border They stabbed him to death, including stabbing him in the top of his head, uh, if you can even imagine. And you say, well, how how do you know it was North Korean assassins? Well, uh, a couple weeks later, on national TV in North Korea, the two assassins were honored as great heroes of the fatherland because they had gone across and taken out this terrible threat to the North Korean government, this pastor who was leading North Koreans to Christ. That's one of the stories that's shared in this book. And like I say, it's one that inspires me because he was safe. He was in Seoul. He could have stayed there. He knew it was dangerous. 
and he still went back because that's where God had called him. And ultimately, uh, he was martyred. Uh, but I think about, you know, the, the words that he heard, well done, good and faithful servant, Pastor Han, come and enter into the joy of your reward. Uh, but he paid a high price for that gospel ministry. Yes. Yeah. What an inspiration. Tell us another. Well, the Gronwalds is another one that come to mind. The Gronwald family, mm-hmm. yes. after 9-11, uh, went to Afghanistan. <laughs> now, if you think about all the things, all the places that you might want to go and serve after 9-11, Afghanistan is probably the last one on the list. And uh, I've had the chance to interview Hannah Lee, the, the mom of the family. She said even people in their own family told them, listen, that is not the voice of God calling you to go to Afghanistan because God would never ask you to do that. He, he would never ask you to take your children to Afghanistan. Uh, but they went from their home in South Africa. They moved to Kabul. Uh, they began to reach out. Hanali was a doctor. Her, her husband, Werner, was a leadership development and, and trainer. And they set up a ministry work there, reaching Afghans and training up the baby church in Afghanistan. Uh, in 2014, their home was attacked by the Taliban. Uh, Werner was killed. Their two teenage children were killed. Uh, Hana Lee would have been killed also, except she was not there that day. She was actually at a meeting of the UN where they had thought that attack was going to happen, and they wanted to have a doctor on site. And so she was invited to be there. The attack did happen, but it was at their home. And so her husband was killed. Her two teenage children were killed in the same day. Uh, And yet she would tell you today, I love the Afghan people. Uh, I've forgiven the people who killed my family, uh, and she has an amazing testimony. But, you know, you think about, again, after 9-11, if God called you to go to Afghanistan, all of the reasons you would say, God, that is a terrible idea, uh, and yet they packed up and moved their family and took their children, uh, and they served for more than 10 years there before Werner and the two children were killed. That's another of the stories that we share in this book. Mm. As readers are uh, learning of these stories, both ancient and contemporary, uh, as they're reading their stories and being moved by them, because you cannot read them without being moved, what do you hope ultimately we derive from becoming more familiar with the cost of uh, following Christ that so many have paid? Well, there's a couple things, and we've kind of mentioned some of them. The yeah. Understanding the value of the kingdom of heaven, understanding what it is to have an eternal perspective, to, to see, you know, these troubles are passing, these pains are passing, and what is waiting for us is eternity with Jesus Christ. To, to kind of understand that and really grab a hold of that is an amazing blessing because it changes how you live your life right now. It changes what you see as a problem and what you see as uh, as a too high a price to pay. And you say, wait a minute, nothing is too high a price to pay because I'm going to get eternity with Jesus Christ. The other thing that happens, and I think, you know, like I said, we ask questions of ourselves. What would I do in that situation? And then we have to pray. We have to study the scripture and we have to say, Lord, help me to be bold like the Gronwald family. Help me to be bold like Pastor Han, uh, to follow in your footsteps and to answer anything you ask me to do. Uh, 
and, and be willing, even even if there's suffering involved, even if there's hardship involved, help me to follow you wholeheartedly. Mm, amen. I would encourage our listeners, if you would like to um, be better informed and find some practical and spiritual help for those who are suffering in the body of Christ uh, and being persecuted, you can go to Voice of the Martyrs uh, website, persecution.com, for more information. Once again, the book we've been talking about, Fox, Voices of the Martyrs, AD 33 to today. Uh, Todd Nettleton, thank you so much for the work of uh, Voice of the Martyrs and for talking with us today. It has been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. We may not be called to stand before a firing squad, but we might be called to get up from the living room and cross the street and share the gospel with a neighbor or a co-worker. I had an opportunity earlier today when I was taking some stuff to a, a Goodwill, and a gentleman from uh, Ethiopia was there. We struck up a conversation because he assumed I, too, was Ethiopian, seizing an opportunity like that to ask whether or not do you know Jesus and being willing to do so, even if we're made, as uh, Todd Nettleton pointed out, even if we're made uncomfortable. For us, perhaps that's the most we'll have to pay. For future generations, I suspect perhaps a bit more. But nonetheless, it is a challenging thing to consider the sacrifices others are making, regular, simple people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and a commitment to follow Christ are able to withstand tremendous persecution. I want to be among them, at least in being faithful where God has me at this moment. I hope you do as well. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're going to talk with Wendy Pope here in just a moment. Her latest book is titled Hidden Potential, Revealing What God Can Do Through You. Now, I love the phrase hidden potential because I think that potential is hidden in plain sight, but we strain to see that God has given each one of us potential to be used for His glory. Well, she is an author and speaker. She's a Proverbs 31 Ministries Bible teacher. She is convinced that every part of our experience can be an ingredient in our hidden potential. We habitually compare our insides to another's outside to determine our value and sum up our potential. That is such a true statement. If God's plan isn't to fix the things that have fractured women's faith, but instead to show his power through life's difficulties. Well, her book is titled Hidden Potential. She looks at the reasons women continually compare themselves to one another, and she touches all aspects of a woman's life. Uh, If women are willing to pause for a moment, put the comparison list down, and listen to the answer that God gives in his word, they're going to discover a life-changing way to think about themselves. Well, Wendy Pope is a speaker with Proverbs 31 Ministries and contributes to P31 online devotional encouragement for today, which teaches over one million people daily. She is the author of several books, including Wait and See and Yes, No, and Maybe. She teaches thousands of women worldwide online through the one-year chronological Bible and lives with her family in North Carolina. And we are delighted to welcome Wendy Pope. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me back. I appreciate it. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you. I have to ask you before we start, how are you and your family doing under this new normal? Well, it's crazy as it sounds. This new normal is our normal normal, if that makes sense. My husband and I both (laughs) work outside of our home. So besides the fact of going to the store and the shelves being empty, it's really not been that different for us. Um, My daughter and my son both are adults and they, young adults, and they still live with us and they both have essential jobs. So they are getting up and going to work like normal. 
so we have not seen that huge of an impact on our normal normal. Um, so I, I can't say that it's it's hurt us in any way, uh, but it is it is very difficult to look at people's circumstances around our country um, and and not feel grief and sorrow. We certainly feel yeah, that absolutely. for our country. Um, in our yeah. community, we just, in our small community, we just had five cases over mm. the last week. So um, it's right, I mean, it's like right on the next road from us, which is, you know, kind of shocking that something from China came all the way, you know, all the way to a little town, five miles, it doesn't even have a stoplight, you know. Um, <laughs> so our hearts and prayers have definitely been hurting for uh and and we have been praying for our country and our leaders, yeah. our president. I know he's, whether you voted for him or not, he's in charge and he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders and he needs our prayers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, your book is titled Hidden Potential. Um, what made you feel compelled to write this book? I mean, I think I could answer that question because I think it's so necessary. But what motivated you to write uh, to women about their hidden potential? Well, honestly, this message unfolded all on its own. I, I, it was, it's funny because when you were talking the intro, you said hidden in plain sight. I love the way that you, that you said that, um, our potential hidden in plain sight. This message was hidden in plain sight, honestly. I had taught um, on Moses at a church in Michigan at a conference um, and just fell in love with the, not that I didn't love Moses before, but the context of the idea of, being a worthwhile possibility, that that mm. phrase became our phrase for the weekend. And when I went back the next year, those women still remembered that phrase, worthwhile possibility. And so when I was contracted by David C. Cook to write this book, um, I really hadn't planned on the theme being hidden potential. Really, Georgine, that um, the Lord just unfolded that through His Spirit. And it's not something that anybody wants to write about. Hey, look, I failed. Let me tell you about it. Hey, let me just show you all the ways that I fall. You know, I have faults and I let my my mouth get away from me or my temper get away from me. Some of the things that I share in the book and, and here are my fears um, and here are my frailties, the weakest parts of me. But I think what happens with um, authors who really follow the Spirit's leading is they write about things that they in themselves struggle with so that we can identify with our readers, because we all struggle with these fears, faults, failures, and frailties, and the idea of am I good enough, or what do I have to do to be good enough to be used in the story, the greater narrative, the mega narrative that God is writing. She's good enough. She's got it. What do I need to do? And we compare, and when you were talking about hidden in plain sight, our potential is hidden in plain sight because we're too busy looking at other people rather than allowing God to say, hey, look in the mirror. Yes, you may have these fears, faults, failures, and frailties, but that's not what I see. I see you covered by the blood of Christ. I see you as holy because I've made you holy. Now, let's use what you have to for your good and my glory. And if that's the way we would look at things, we would allow God to show us our stories would be written with a lot more uh, exclamation points. How about that? Mm, yeah, I love that. I think so, so often 
we look at others and we think, oh, they are so articulate, they're attractive, they got a mm-hmm. meaningful ministry, and that's what I want to be. And so we we sort of try to insert ourselves into someone else's gifting and fail to see the unique place God has carved out for us in the kingdom of God and the story that he, as you put it, uh, the story that he's writing for us. And we can be so easily distracted. And of course, our enemy would love nothing more than for us to compare ourselves to one another oh, so that right. we never fully... Right walk in what God is, has uh, called us to do. Right. Absolutely. And, and that's what he wants us to do. He, uh, he knows that he can't steal our salvation, but he wants to rob us of anything else that could be used to advance the gospel. And um, he paralyzes us with fear and, and with, with reminds us of our weaknesses by constantly navigating situations that shows us our weaknesses. And, and we can look at that in two different ways. We can say, yeah, I'm weak in that way, but because I'm weak, God is strong in me. Or we can say, yes, I'm weak. I can't do that. And we could just say, let's move, move on to that next person. Um, and we miss, we miss the glory of God's story in our life when we do mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. Now, why do you think so many of us, and I'm speaking of women, miss our hidden potential when God has given every one of us a role to play in the unfolding of his purpose and plan? For me, I can speak for myself. I, I allowed a false narrative, a negative narrative to play out and direct my life, to determine what I believed about myself, but also direct what I felt like I could, in my own strength, um, achieve. Uh, I tell the story in the book about wanting to play, being a really good softball player. I mean, I really could throw a pitch. I, I, I could. I, I, I knew it, not conceited-wise, but I knew I had a gift. But I only tried out, I only went out for the church team because it was the no-cut team. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. I, I, I believe just enough that I could... I could do this, but I wasn't willing to take that risk to go and try out for something that I could be cut for because I didn't believe any further than, okay, this is all that I'm good enough for. I'm not good enough to wear a jersey of my, you know, high school alma mater. Um, So I believe for me, I just, I, I listened to that negative narrative that shaped my life for so long, even into my adulthood. And I even have to silence that narrative with truth as a 52-year-old woman in ministry who somebody would look at and say, oh, wow, she is so accomplished. She's written three books. But even I have to fight that negative narrative by saying, wait a minute. Yes, look at what she's doing. Um, Oh, wow, I want to do that in ministry, but I could never do that because X, Y, Z. And then I have to stop myself and say, wait a minute. Everybody has a story, and that's her story, and God has a story for me that doesn't include the story for her. He needs me to do my story Mm -hmm. and her to do her story and her to do her story and them to do their story. So I believe we allow the fears, faults, failures, and frailties to shape us and to direct where we're going and determine what we think of ourselves. We allow all of those negative things to script our lives rather than the truth of God's word to script our lives. 
Yes. Well, we're going to continue our conversation, but I do need to take a quick break. Again, we're talking with Wendy Pope. She's a speaker with Psalm 31 Ministries and contributes to their online devotional encouragement for today. And she's the author of Hidden Potential. This is a great book, uh, Revealing What God Can Do Through You. Yeah, you, you. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Wendy Pope. She is the author of Hidden Potential, Revealing What God Can Do Through You. And I so appreciate how vulnerable and open you are in the book about yourself, because I do tend to think that we put authors and women who teach on a pedestal, and you remind us that we all struggle with things in common, but that God can use us, that every one of us has uh, potential. So I appreciate the approach that you've taken. I also wanted to mention that the, the book includes discussion, reflection, Bible study questions, which is good for personal study and for small group study as well. How do you see this book best being um, used to help draw us out and to recognize I have potential that God has placed in me? Oh, for sure. Um, it's perfect for individual study and for individual um, reading and application, but I feel like it's best in a small group setting uh, because we are more likely to share some of our vulnerabilities in a small group setting. And also, what I love about a small group is you've got a support group around you. Mm-hmm. And so when the, the, the hard things come out, when we are vulnerable enough to let it out, You've got a support around you, building you up and encouraging you. And so I, I love the idea of, you know, five to six women getting around, um, you know, uh, at a lunch table over uh, at lunch during work or in a home or a coffee shop in the evening, just going over the truths of the book and discussing, having the discussion questions. I, and, and right now, of course, we can't do that, but you certainly could do that on a Zoom Zoom meeting. Yes. People are getting experts on Zoom and FaceTiming. <laughs> um, you could certainly even do this study now um, and read and share with a couple people on a on a FaceTime or on a Skype or on a Zoom meeting. Absolutely, absolutely. Now with a password, from what I understand. Now, you include um, your story, but certainly the stories of other women, both contemporary and ancient. Um, I appreciated your including both because it gives us a sense that, you know, we haven't really changed all that much in terms of the things that uh, that challenge us. But um, right, talk a little bit about how these women can help us better understand our own situation and how God is calling us and has already given us potential for purpose. Well, for sure, it makes us know that we're not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, the the friends that shared their stories in the book are friends that shared and risked, you know, sharing the hardest parts of them, the weakest parts of them, the most vulnerable parts of them, so that other women would know they're not the only one that lives with fear, but still it can be faithful. They're not the only one who has a frailty like um, my friend Meg, that never went to school. She never graduated from school. And certainly the world would tell her she could not accomplish anything because she didn't even have a high school degree. But she has surrendered that to God and said, just use me however. And she walks in the fullness of God's story for her life. However, 
she still has the frailty. She can't go back and fix that right now in her life. And so that's what I love, the fact that the women that shared their stories in the book, they didn't overcome them. They still live with their fear, their faults, their failures, and their frailty, just like Moses did. Mm -hmm. It never says in Scripture that God took away his speech problem. Never. It's just all of a sudden you see when you read the narrative that's written, Aaron's talking to Pharaoh, and then all of a sudden Moses speaks. And then, wow, does he speak. And then, okay, no longer do you hear from Aaron. You're only hearing from Moses. It took a little while for him to get that confidence. He may still have had that stutter if that's indeed what he had. We don't know that God took it away. We don't know that he didn't. But we know in Scripture it doesn't say, and Moses was healed by God, and he could now talk confidently like a true leader that would be worthy to lead God's people out of of Egypt. You don't see all that. You see his evidence of his anger throughout the Exodus. It's there. That, That fault is still there. But he is still continuing to follow God, listen to God, and obey God. And that's what these women represent. I didn't want it to just be my story. I wanted it to be a story where every woman could relate. That's why I chose the, well, God did. He chose the ones that he wanted to um, represent different seasons of life and different areas um, of the potential that God can see in us. Yeah. Now, Moses was the ancient I made reference to earlier, not a woman. But um, it's interesting that you uh-huh. you make the point that Moses, we don't know that Moses um, lost the, the frailty that made him a reluctant servant in the first place. We tend to think as soon as I take care of this area of weakness, as soon as this fault is resolved, as soon as this um, fear is overcome, then I can be useful for God. But what you're pointing out through the example of Moses is he's calling us just where we are at at this point with all that stuff that we bring with us. Absolutely. He he, part of, and that's one of the things that I learned really studying his story, but also, you know, allowing the scripture and the story and the spirit to speak as I wrote the book is God doesn't necessarily want to quote unquote fix all the things that we think are wrong with us. He wants to use us just the way that we are, and he wants us to come to him just the way that we are. I think of the old hymn, Just As I Am, without one plea, just just as I am. I'm coming to him and trusting him to make the best of what I have to offer, and he does that. He does that. He might not do it right away. I mean, look at what it took a long time for Moses to develop into the leader that he was, and we have to be willing to work with the Spirit, allow the Spirit to work with us, and give God time to work in our lives. And we don't live in a world that, we live in a world that says, hurry up, do it right now. But that's not the economy that God works on. Yeah. Now, what are some of the key conversations that women could have with one another to encourage each other in their vulnerabilities and weakness, uh, and at the same time, invite compassion and listening when women come together, because we tend to want to hide those areas that we're least proud of. Right. Well, I think the first thing that we as women have to do is be willing to have that honest conversation. And the first person that we need to have that honest conversation with, honestly, is ourselves. Mm-hmm. We need to be willing to say, you know what, this is a struggle that I'm dealing with. And and then be willing to share that with someone else. That That's the hardest part because 
especially in a church setting. And, and I love church Bible studies. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I love leading. I just finished leading a Bible study at my church. And I love that. And I love being in the house of God. But there's something about being in the warmth and coziness of somebody's den or in a coffee shop sitting outside on a patio. Um, there's something about that that's conducive for um, for being vulnerable. Sometimes when we're in church, we have our church face on and our church clothes on and our church mm-hmm. aura about ourselves. But when we are away from the building, so to speak, um, we tend to be a little bit more vulnerable. So that's what that's what I would recommend. Is first having an honest conversation with yourself. And really ex- allowing the Holy Spirit to examine you and allow, just examine yourself. And, and what are your, and, and write those down. What are your fears? What are your faults? What are your frailties? Um, what are your failures? And be willing to admit those to yourself. And then pray and ask God for, for a group of people to share and hold you accountable. That's another thing too, is to have a group that is going to hold you accountable, not only build you up, and encourage you, hey, you can do this, I understand, I, I have the same struggles, or I have a similar struggle, that, that me too kind of idea. But then also, we want good Christian women, godly women, who are going to hold us accountable for thinking the right way. All right, we've, we've discovered mm-hmm. scripture, we know what's going to derail this negative train and put us back on the track of positivity and truth. So how are you doing with that? And, and maybe have a text group and encourage one another that way um, and hold each other accountable that way. And, and as I said, if it means meeting at a place that's not a church building, that is more conducive at times for that vulner- those vulnerable conversations. Yeah. We're just about out of time, but I wanted to give you a moment to talk about what it means for God to show his power through the fractured parts of our lives, because we have a hard time imagining that he can use us in that condition. And yet he demonstrates his power in some pretty significant ways under that scenario. Oh, for sure. And, and, and I hate, I don't want to, the first example that I thought of was my, was my own life. And so I'm certainly not tooting my horn. I am shouting out to God is my whole insecurity. I am an introvert. I have, I'm an insecure person. I grew up feeling less than, and I remember, I remember things that were said to me as a fourth and fifth grader that, that insulted me, that put me down. And I I remember those things now Mm -hmm. as a grown adult and shattered that confidence and that little girl would knew she could pitch and she could probably pitch better than that girl out on the mound or just as good but was scared to try out i was scared i was i was afraid of rejection i was afraid of failing i was afraid of people making fun of me so the fact that i've had the opportunity to work in partnership with god to put out not one, not two, but three books. Again, I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on God. And then have the opportunity to speak to you and many other media outlets and to go around the country and speak in front of people is the biggest transformation and the example of God using the weakest parts of us for his glory. Because this is not me. I am a no makeup, give me baggy shirt, give me some baggy leggings and 
leave me at home with my dog and my people. <laughs> don't put me on an airplane and don't fix me all frilled up and everything like that and put me on the stage. That's not me. That's God in me. Me wants to stay home and me, I don't want to risk it. I don't want to write it. I don't want to try it. But God in me says, yes, this is what I'm calling you to. And because I trusted him with that very first message that he wrote on my heart many years ago when I started speaking and he proved himself faithful, I now have a memory bank of faithfulness and I know he's calling me to it. He's going to get me through it. And I live by that motto. And and I'm no different than anybody else. You have the same story to tell, I'm sure, because God's worked in your life and done things in ministry in your life that you never thought possible. That's Everybody right. has a story to share. Um, and if you don't have a story to share yet, there's a story in you waiting to be shared. Amen. Well, the book, once again, is Hidden Potential, Revealing What God Can Do Through You. Wendy Pope, it is always a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Now, one might assume that there's going to come a time when we're no longer debating whether or not there's free speech on college campuses, particularly as it applies to those who are sharing their faith on college campuses. Well, Alliance Defending Freedom is uh, representing a young woman who has now graduated from the college of her choice, but was denied the freedom to talk about her faith with willing um, students, and it made its way all the way to the Supreme Court. Well, here to talk with us about that uh, is Kate Anderson. She is legal counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom. You also worked on this case. Welcome, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on the show. You know, I so appreciate your availability, but it gets somewhat tiresome to see these cases trotted out one after the other, addressing fundamental rights that every student, faculty member, all of us uh, should be able to exercise freely. Tell us a little bit about your client and this particular uh, grievous offense. Well, certainly you're right. Our constitutional rights are invaluable and we need to see them protected um, by the courts and we need to see government officials stop violating those important freedoms. Uh, we represent Chike Uzabunam. Uh, he was a student at Georgia Gwinnett College, and in 2016, he wanted to share his faith with fellow students on campus. So he found a public space where he saw other people sharing their ideas and speaking publicly, and he began to talk with other students about his religious beliefs. Well, he was stopped by college officials, and they told him that in order to continue speaking, he needed to reserve a time in one of two tiny speech zones. Uh, those zones were only open about 10% of the week, and they made up far less than 1% of the campus. It would be like standing on a piece of notebook paper on a football field. Um, but he did what they asked. Um, and when he went to the speech zone during his reserve time, he began talking with other students, and he was stopped again, this time by two campus police officers who told them that somebody had complained about his speech, and so he had to stop altogether. Uh, we challenged those policies, um, and now we were just in front of the Supreme Court about whether that case uh, is going to move forward. Now, let me see if I can clarify this. If a student is exercising his or her free speech and someone else is offended by that, that's sufficient grounds then for the campus police to shut down that free speech? Is that the, the case that the, uh, the school was making? Well, that was the speech policy that the college had in place. It's obviously unconstitutional. Um, at some point in the litigation after first 
defending that policy and saying it was fine for them to have that policy, the college did change uh, their policy. So going forward, that's an important step. But they did nothing to uh, address the harm that they had done to Chike. He can never go back to that day on campus and speak with other students about his faith as he had wanted to. Uh, So that certainly is a case that needs to be dealt with. um, And there needs to be some recourse for victims of constitutional abuses to be able to get some kind of a recourse from the government to, to vindicate their rights. Absolutely. Now, you say the college changed its policy. What is the policy now for students who are currently at the college? Well, my understanding is that colleges or that students at the college now are more free to speak. I mean, certainly the First Amendment uh, protects students to be able to speak freely, including on their college campuses and especially on their college campuses. This is something we should want, a robust debate about ideas on college campuses. Um, So my understanding is that uh, there are no First Amendment concerns with the current policy. Um, it was over the prior policy. And I will note that um, the college was put on notice about three years before they enforced the policy against Chike that uh, the speech zones and this um, complaint mechanism to shut down speech violated the First Amendment. And yet they continued to hold on to that policy until it was challenged in court. Mm. And the court, apparently the district court dismissed the case. Um, explain how the case that has been dismissed because the college changed its policy has made its way for consideration before the U.S. Supreme Court. Yes, so because by the time the policy had changed, Chike had graduated, uh, the court looked at it and said, moving forward, other people's rights are not going to be violated, so we're going to dismiss this case. And while certainly changing a policy is an important step, um, colleges and government officials need to look backwards and also address the injury that they do to the individual. GK suffered harm, and the college did nothing to address that. Um, And so how we protect our rights in that context is what went to the court, because certainly if government officials are allowed to just trample on religious freedom, on First Amendment rights, on free speech, uh, then those rights really mean very little. And that's why I think the court took the case up. Now, my understanding is Chike wrote an article um, that appeared in the Washington Post in which he writes, I grew up hearing from my mother and father about the freedom enjoyed in America. They had come here from Nigeria seeking new opportunities and a new world. My parents raised my siblings and me to work hard, enjoy life and treat other people with dignity and respect. They also taught us that in this land where liberty is precious, citizens have a duty to defend it when they see freedoms infringed, which explains in large measure the motivation behind his continuing to pursue this to avoid or to prevent perhaps others from having to face um, the deprivation that he faced while he was at uh, the college that he chose. This is Georgia Gwinnett College. Yes, and absolutely. In this case, we saw um, a broad array of groups come in and file friend of the court briefs with the court, including the ACLU. Um, and ADF does not often find itself on the same side of an issue as the ACLU. Um, but we both agree here that these constitutional freedoms are so important and that government officials should be held accountable to the individuals when they violate these rights. Um, so certainly free speech, like the situation that happened with Chike, is a prime example of a case uh, that needs to go forward with the government officials being held accountable. But there are other cases. Anytime constitutional rights are violated, the government really does need to be uh, held accountable and not allowed to get a free pass. 
Now, the Supreme Court is considering taking up this case. First of all, how optimistic are you? And secondly, what precisely are you hoping they will do if they take this case up and how that might impact future decisions made on college campuses? Well, the court actually took the case and heard oral argument just yesterday on the case. So it's fully submitted to the Supreme Court, which is wonderful news. Um, we heard the justices raise the same concerns I have here, uh, that government officials should be held accountable when they violate constitutional freedoms, uh, that there are individuals that suffer these harms, and that while it's hard to put a price tag on what your free speech is worth, it's certainly an invaluable right that we need to compensate in some manner, that we need to recognize under the law and through the courts that we protect those freedoms. So we're very optimistic about the outcome of this decision. We probably won't know the outcome until we get a lot closer to the end of the Supreme Court's term in June, Um, but we are very optimistic. Well, I so appreciate Alliance Defending Freedom taking out this and so many other cases that shine a bright light on uh, what college campuses and other institutions are doing to limit the speech of those, particularly religious speech, but not limited to religious speech uh, all across the country. So I thank you so much for your work in this case and for taking the time to talk with us today. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me on the show. You're so welcome. Again, Kate Anderson is legal counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom, and she also has worked on this case involving this uh, Nigerian now graduate holding um, his college accountable. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the goal of a second impeachment would be to disqualify Trump from holding office again or more to the point, prevent him from running for president in 2024. Now, some of the things to consider as the impeachment moves forward today and into the days ahead. The House Democrats introduced one article of impeachment on Monday, charging the president with incitement and insurrection. The measure was co-authored by Representatives David Cicilline, uh, Ted Lieu, Jamie Raskin, all members of the House Judiciary Committee and close to House Democrat leadership. Now, mind you, there was not a Judiciary Committee hearing, but members of the committee uh, made the presentation. Trump and some supporters have indicated that he would run again for president in 2024. And this, of course, is designed in part to prevent that from happening. Well, how would disqualification work? Well, the Senate could vote to disqualify Trump from holding any future federal office. Article 1, Section 3, Clause 7 of the Constitution says that if a federal official is convicted in an impeachment trial, judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States, end quote. Well, unlike removal from office, the Senate needs only a simple majority to disqualify someone from holding office in the future. However, a two-thirds vote for removal must first occur uh, before moving forward to disqualification uh, vote. Now, the Senate trial would require a two-thirds vote on removal. After that, uh, the next step would be uh, further sanction, mainly prohibiting him from holding office uh, again. Uh, Now, it's important to remember that this will be not the Senate of 2020. This will be the Senate of 2021, uh, where there is no Republican majority. So he doesn't have the advantage of uh, perhaps Republicans protecting him through this. Well, when would the Senate hold trial? There's been a lot of uh, speculation about that. Senate rules say an impeachment trial must begin at 1 p.m. the day after the Senate receives the articles or article of impeachment from those chosen to the House impeachment managers. So the earliest trial could start 
uh, would be when the Senate is back in session, which is January the 20th. That's Inauguration Day for um, uh, President-elect Biden. So there's uh, some question as to when that's likely to happen. However, Senate Democrat leader Charles Schumer reportedly will seek the support of Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell to use a 2004 Senate rule to recall the Senate into emergency session before January 20th. So stay tuned on what will happen there. Well, could the Senate disqualify the president from future office? Once all the senators are seated for an impeachment trial, to convict Trump would require 17 Republican senators to vote with all Senate Democrats. Again, the Senate could not move to a simple majority vote to qualify Trump from hold or rather disqualify him from holding office unless it already had a vote of two-thirds or more to convict the president. But what happens if President Trump pardons himself? Whether a president can pardon himself never has been tested. Of course, a second uh, impeachment has never been done. Trump reportedly is considering the move. I'm not sure what the source is there, but the Constitution's pardon clause provides that the president shall have power to grant reprieves and pardons of offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment, end quote. So a pardon uh, would shield president from prosecution at the federal level, but it would have no effect on Congress power to impeach and remove him. Now, a pardon also wouldn't prevent Trump from being prosecuted at the state level. New York Attorney General uh, James has targeted Trump, long a New York-based developer and businessman, and that will very likely be the first thing he does once Trump becomes a civilian. For a president to pardon himself, would give the appearance the president of the United States is completely above the law. Uh, Constitutional scholars argue about the topic, so we won't settle it here, but one is quoted as saying he didn't end his presidency well. He had a good story to tell as a one-term president. It would have been a good story to tell for a two-term president, but you can judge the Trump presidency without judging his character It's not just accomplishments, it's also character. Well, what other impeached officials were disqualified? Well, out of the 15 federal judges impeached in U.S. history, eight were removed from office. The Senate voted to disqualify three of those eight judges from holding federal office again. In 1862, Judge West H. Humphreys of Western District, Tennessee, was the first judge to be impeached, convicted, removed, and disqualified from holding future office. Well, Humphreys stands out for being found guilty of waging war on the United States government during the Civil War. The other two judges prohibited from holding office again had, um, had been charged with corruption, Judge Robert Archibald of the U.S. Commerce Court in 1912 and Judge Thomas Porteous of the Eastern District of Louisiana in 2010. The most notable federal judge to be impeached by the House and removed by the Senate but not disqualified from holding future office was Judge Alcee Hastings of the Southern District of Florida. In 1988, the House charged Hastings with perjury and soliciting a bribe. After he was acquitted in a later criminal trial, Hastings ran for Congress in 1992 and one. He continues to represent Florida's 20th congressional district. Well, what usually happens when an impeached official is out of office? Well, the House in 1876 impeached a cabinet secretary after he had left office. The Senate acquitted him in a trial. In the most recent example, the Senate in 2010 dropped a trial for a federal judge who had been who had rather resigned. Judge Samuel Kent of the Southern District of Texas was accused of sexual misconduct in 2008. He pled not guilty to five related charges. The next month, he pled guilty in a criminal court to obstruction of justice in connection with making false statements. 
to a special investigative committee of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. Well, the guilty plea to obstruction allowed Kent to avoid prosecution on the other charges. As part of the plea, though, the judge admitted to engaging in non-consensual well, contact with two court employees. He was sentenced to 33 months. Well, the House on June the 9th recommended four articles of impeachment against Kent. That's June 9th, the year this took place, what year 2010. Um, and uh, the House Judiciary Committee unanimously approved the articles and sent the articles to the House floor. Later that same month, the full House approved two articles of impeachment related to the conduct, one for obstruction of justice and another for providing false statements to Congress. On the 25th, and again, this all started the 25th of June when the Senate staffers traveled to a a prison to present Kent with a summons to testify. The judge gave them a handwritten resignation note. This time the resignation was effective June 30th. Well, enough on that. Uh, The president apparently can be impeached once he is out of office and whether or not they can prevent him from holding office again will be a matter that will be taken up in the hearing to be held by the Senate. Well, the National Weather Service has issued a flash flood warning earlier in the day today and instructed residents of Dodson, a community in the Columbia River Gorge between Troutdale and Hood River, to evacuate immediately due to a landslide that closed a 20-mile stretch of I-84. The Multnomah County Sheriff's Office uh, reported that active landslides are making it difficult for responders to safely access the community. They instructed residents to leave by traveling east and saying all other people should avoid the area. Well, there was uh, one reported missing as a result of all of that, the landslide and flash flooding in the Columbia River Gorge area as a result of all the rain we have seen in recent days. So be in prayer for your neighbors who are being impacted uh, by the fallout of this rain. Well, under pressure from federal officials, Governor Kate Brown announced Tuesday that she'll allow all Oregonians 65 and older to be eligible for COVID-19 vaccinations starting January 23rd, at least a month earlier than expected. Well, on her own accord, Brown also said that she would allow child care, preschool, and K-12 through school employees to start receiving vaccinations the same day, triggering what will be an unprecedented wave of people seeking vaccinations in a state that struggled to administer shots quickly. Governor Brown's decision to expand vaccination to older Oregonians came in response to urging from the U.S. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, who earlier in the day said all states should start vaccinating Americans who are 65 or older and people with underlying conditions that put them at higher risk for serious complications. So if you fall in that category, keep that in mind. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing today's program, Clark Hilton for engineering, and Dan Rice for the use of his office. I hope you'll join us here tomorrow. And I do want to say thanks for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.